You ready? Yes. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. My guest is renowned artist and sculptor Kevin Cressy, who's recently been in the news for his commissioned bust of the famous singer LaVon Helm, and who last year was in the news for his commissioned seven-foot-tall, 1,300-pound bronze statue of the famed U.S. Army Ranger and war hero General William O. Darby from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Kevin's work has been featured in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Arkansas Times, the North Little Rock Times, the Little Rock Free Press, Active Years Magazine, Soiree Magazine, just to name a few. He's also been featured in pieces produced by the local affiliates of ABC, CBS, and PBS Television, as well as a short film by Garrett Larkin. Lakin. Mm-hmm. Lakin. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Cassie Cressy has been awarded painting fellowships from the National Endowment of the Arts, Mid-America Arts Alliance, and Arkansas Arts Council. He has also been the winner of several awards from the Arkansas Art Center's annual Delta competition. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table my friend, the talented and successful artist extraordinaire, Kevin Cressy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm actually sick of myself now after the introduction. <laughs> I don't I don't even want to hear from the guy. <laughs> Somebody made a film about you? Uh, Garrett was a, a good buddy. He was uh, went to NYU Film School and ended up down here. He was, and uh, yeah, he did a little thing. But uh, so, where is it? In your li- in your well, library? Like at so home? many of my stories. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett was a wonderful guy, but but unfortunately, he passed away. Oh, in three. I'm sorry. And, and uh, so I saw the film and everything, and. I think Waymac has the copy. Really? Yeah. Well, that's neat. I know. I need to get it. But anyway. Uh, at what age did you find out you had this gift for art? Because you really have a gift for art. Ah. Um, you know, it was just one of those things I did. But what's interesting was when I, you know, I went through, obviously, with 10 brothers and sisters. Then we went through the parochial school. So having graduated from Catholic high. You need was, to stop right there and tell everybody that you're Catholic and you have 10 brothers and sisters. Okay, pick back up. There we go. And uh, so I didn't really have any art classes uh, until I got to college. So really, I had no idea if I was any good or not. I had nothing to compare myself to. But you said right before we came on that I've known you since you were 14. Right, when I was bussing tables at Sirloins. And I must have been 21. Uh, so you were drawing then. I remember yeah, back but then. I was Yeah, but you know, I was drawing on the back of, uh, um, you know, the – Pay stubs, but we were keeping them. Of everybody, yes. yeah, I know. I think some people are still have blackmail material on me from those days. Um, so, so, can you not not create? I mean, could you ever just go? I'm not going to do this anymore, or is it just like an obsession? You have to doodle and draw and create. All, I don't ever see you doodle actually, but you have to just. No, but I think everybody has that in them. No, I don't. I do. No, I, th- I think maybe it gets taught out of us in school or something, but. Um, if we let it, but I, no, I think everybody has a need to do something, whether it be 
you know, garden or uh, you know, music or I, mean, I think everybody has something in them. It's just about getting it to come out. So you and your wife tell the story. You made a deliberate decision, as Bridget says, to quit your job jobs and stop the vicious circle of working for money and accumulation. Yeah. Well, in college, this there was zero was ever said about how to make a living as an artist. And so really the only two options I ever saw were uh, you become an art teacher and teach other people how to not make a living in art, uh, <laughs> or you would go into advertising. And those are the only two options I, that I remember thinking about. So uh, I went into advertising. And at that point, the Democrat had brought everything from ad agencies in-house. And so I was hired by uh, Estelle Jeffrey, who was, he, he had just been hired. So we just started, kind of started from scratch doing this. And doing so what? Doing all the advertising for the paper. So I was doing, at 23, I was doing TV commercials and billboards and Pops on the River posters and writing radio spots and a lot of stuff I had no business doing because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but it was great. It, it fast forwarded my life to see what I would be doing in advertising at, you know, 40 or so when you would become an art director. So I did that for a few years and then Bridget was doing stocks and securities uh, <laughs> with her mom, which is kind of cracks me up to think about now, but, um, yeah, anyway, it was great because we both kind of got, like I said, fast forwarded to seeing what grownups would be doing and it just wasn't doing it for us. So when, how did the conversation come about? We're going to quit our jobs and we're going to become artists because isn't Bridget an artist also? No, she, she's a, she has a wonderful eye. She's a good photographer and she has got great taste and, um, like spinal tap, you know, she's brutally frank with me about mm. what I do, which is great. You need someone as opposed to, Oh, that's so nice. You, know, mm. you need, you know, and, and she definitely, uh, does that part for me. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, it was just a, one of those things. I don't think it quite clocks you over the head. It's sort of a gradual thing. And then I remember going, walking in Nestle's office and giving him a one year notice. One year. Yeah. Because I needed money to to save up. For we, what? We backpacked around Europe for about three and a half months. That's what you did when you quit your jobs? Yes. And <clears throat> I've said this before, but it took me about two weeks. And this is the thing I noticed about the American system of getting, well, first you had to work for a year before you even got vacation. So then the next year you would get a week. And uh, I noticed on that three and a half month trip, it took me about two weeks to stop the, you know, the phantom pains. Of, oh, did I take care of this at work? Did I tell the guy who took my place this, you know, those things that would just fire off occasionally mm -hmm. until that finally kind of died off. And then I also realized before that I had been sort of identifying who I was by what was written on my business card. So when I would meet people, I was, you know, like I said, there I was in my mid twenties. So I was I, like, oh, I'm Kevin Crazy. I'm art director. You know, in a deeper voice. And and, um, and so gr backpacking around was great because then it just, everything, it was like being dead and looking back at your life with this great objectivity. And then I was 
then I did have a clock on the head because it, everything had been set in place. So I remember definitely, you know, when we were in Florence and um, overlooking in Italy and overlooking the Duomo and, and then I was like, I do not want to go back to that job, you know, or any job in advertising. Yeah, I want to be an artist. So you hadn't quit your job yet? No, I had quit. But I also, it, one of the subliminal things I, I realized later was I, I didn't take acts, I didn't use any of the facilities at the paper to put together a portfolio to go look for a job when I got home. Oh, it was subliminal. Mm-hmm. So you and Bridget said, let's just go back and have a very minimal life and start trying to make a living as an artist? Yeah. And, and that, it was interesting. I remember the first day, too, you know, getting a canvas and looking at it and going, whoa, what do I do? Because, you know, before it was like, okay, we need you to come up with something. Here are your parameters. and That was cre- the Arkansas Democrat. Something. Yeah, anything in advertising. You know, these, here's your parameters. This is what we need something on. Now go create. And then all of a sudden, here was a, a blank canvas, and it was like, well, who are you, and what do you want to talk about on this canvas, and what do you want to what was the first thing you painted? Do you remember? Mm, I think it was something about the trip. You know, I did a bunch of work kind of reflecting on the trip and what that was like. and Architectural work? Like of the buildings? No, 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 no. Internal stuff. Sort of like visual diaries of this change that was going on between. What does that mean? It means, well, um, okay, for example, I did... I, I did uh, I did, I did one painting called Leap of Faith, and it was sort of a self-portrait, but it was disjointed. So on one canvas, a small canvas, I had painted my face, sort of this screaming thing. And then from you see the back of me sort of falling in space. And then another canvas, there's maybe just a focus on the foot. So it's a disjointed self-portrait. And then you see the uh, building sort of being ripped in half in the background, and I'm sort of floating up. And it's just this. Was it cathartic doing all that? Oh, yeah, you bet. You may have read an article in the Democrat Gazette this past weekend about Kevin Cressy's sculpture of Johnny Cash going to the U.S. Capitol. Here's a report, courtesy of KFSM-TV News in Fort Smith. Arkansas is another step closer to replacing its statues in the National Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. Selection Committee recommended Arkansas native Kevin Cressy be selected to create and design a statue of Johnny Cash. It, it is unbelievable. It's uh I am am humbled. That's how Kevin Cressy says he's felt after being chosen to have his work in the National Statuary Hall collection in the U.S. Capitol. Honestly, I'm still uh, digesting the news. This is is the biggest thing that's ever happened in my uh, uh, career. Back in 2019, Governor Asa Hutchinson signed off on legislation to have civil rights activist Daisy Bates of Little Rock and singer Johnny Cash, who was born in Kings Lynn, replace the current statues of former Governor James Clark and Uriah Rose, a 19th century attorney. I have to be honest here. If it had been anyone else, I don't know, you know, a politician or a business leader, whatever, I would have been honored to do that as well. But to have it, as I say, kind of be in this wheelhouse of my passions for these Arkansas musicians is just, it goes beyond the cherry on top. Later in the program, we'll revisit Kevin's reaction to the news about the Johnny Cash sculpture and a little bit of his inspiration behind what he created. Now back to the program with Carrie McCoy, up in your business with Kevin Cressy. So who bought your first painting? You better remember this. can send him a Christmas card every year. <laughs> 
Well, see, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I start going, well, you know, especially with a big family, you, I think, you know, you get all the help uh, from, oh, from your brother and yeah, your yeah, mother yeah. So got I, your that's first why, painting. That's why I was sitting there hesitating because I was trying to think, well, who was the first one who didn't count as, oh, poor Kevin, he's trying to make, <laughs> he's trying to make it as, a, as an artist, we need to buy something from him. Um, uh, it, it, it'll hit me, I'm blanking now, but um, it was, I mean, well, Charlotte, in in college, gave me my first show at her Charlotte hit. Uh uh-uh. mm-hmm. uh. Um, I hope she's listening. At I just thought of that, and when I was in college, let me put up paintings in her shop. Um, and then I had my first show after I did that. Uh, my good friend Willie Allen, Willie and Sally Allen, opened their home for me. My uh, mom and sisters uh, did all the food and. Uh, we made up invitations. And Where was that show? In their home up on uh, Edgewood. In Little Rock? In Little Rock, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, Did you sell much? No, sold nothing. Uh, uh, then I had my first show at the Baker Gallery, which is in Chroma Gallery. Yeah, in Hillcrest? Yeah. Uh, Hill, yeah. Chroma Gallery. No, that's in the Heights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you sell anything? No. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> then I had a show. Those uh, people missed it. They should have got some while you were cheap. <laughs> oh, this is getting depressing now that I'm thinking about it. No, <laughs> then I had a show at Taylor's Contemporary Gallery of Help. Um, it was interesting because I was at uh, Baker's and it switched over to Chroma. So actually I had Chroma's very first show. And then I had uh, Carolyn Taylor's first show in Hot Springs. Did you sell anything? The, uh, no. <laughs> Why does this guy keep going? Can't he take a hint? Go home. Uh, <laughs> so what's the next uh, one? <laughs> Do we want to know? <laughs> okay. Actually, now there was, um, <laughs> after the Taylor show had closed, they, she kept a couple pieces and then later one of those sold How to a, a guy from New York who was a set designer. And was was down in Hot Springs. Kevin, tell us about Lee Von Helm, who he was, how you, an Arkansas artist, came to be asked to create. First off, Lee Von is just the coolest. uh, Even if you're not interested in Lee Von, you ought to read his book, This Wheel's on Fire. What? Yes, it's a wonderful This Wheel's on Fire. This Wheel's on Fire. And it's, he must have just been on the porch with a beer and dictating it because it just reads so conversationally. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just the coolest book. It's great. But did he do it after he was done? No, it came out in like uh, 92, I think. Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, yeah. So how'd it come about? Well, um, all right. My old roommate, Chris Maxwell from the gun bunnies uh, in the days when I was living with him. Now, Chris is, uh, moved to New York in the mid nineties and now he lives in Woodstock, which is where Levon lived. And of course they've renamed, um, part of the Arkansas highway, you know, it's part of Levon Hill Memorial highway. And there's also Levon Hill Memorial highway in Woodstock as well. So they did it in Arkansas because he was born in Marvel, Arkansas. Yeah. Turkey stretch. He was born Turkey stretch in a lane or, or no, or, anyway, but anyway, grew up in Turkey Scratch. Yeah. A suburb. Turkey Scratch. Okay. Turkey Scratch, yes. A suburb of Marvel. Of Marvel. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, anyway, Chris was in town. And then uh, also uh, musician extraordinaire Greg Spradlin 
was doing a video and having uh, of Chris playing a song. So the three of us were running around and uh, Greg was, had done the video for the leave on hell Memorial. And so he was talking about that and I was sort of going with Greg, Hey, don't, don't forget your old buddy <laughs> Kevin over here, because actually they, I think they had already contacted an artist out in Vegas. So they were already thinking about doing a bust. Well, they're actually, they were going to be doing a large, uh, relief, a bronze relief. And, um, it was going to cost buku's money. Yeah. So anyway, I had, um, Greg managed to get me a meeting with the, um, Anna Lee and Joe Griffith and some of the ones who were starting. Friends uh, of Levon or yes. something? Mm-hmm. Anna Lee's in the song, The Wait. Um, anyway, so. Um, Is that his wife? No, childhood friend from Turkey. Oh. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, I went down to Doe's and had a meeting with them. In Little Rock, Arkansas? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you didn't have to go to Woodstock? No. Got to go to the power room at Doe's, though. That uh-huh. was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know that room. Uh, anyway, made my pitch and got the got the job. And so the bust is going to be for Marville, Arkansas. That's where it's going to be. Yes. Now they're they're also part of this. You know, they're raising money and they're to uh, restore his childhood home as well. See, in, so in Arkansas, it'll too? be in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's another thing. They, they yeah they they had brought actually Richard Butler here in Little Rock had yeah. gotten several houses from there. And then they got up and realized that one of them was Levon's, and then Richard donated Levon's house back to them. So it's moved back down to Marvel. And um, so anyway, that's part of the project is to restore the home, and then the bust will be outside the home. So they've they've paid you to make the bust out of clay. That's what you do, right? And then you have to fire. Then you tell tell us the process. So yes, the first thing is me doing the sculpture, and then uh, yeah, then a mold will be made. Then they'll do the then the foundry takes over. They make the mold, they pour, do the wax and, um, you know, pour the bronze, the whole bit from there. Did you have to work from a photograph or what'd you work from? Yeah. A lot of photographs. Well, I mean, that was a whole nother thing as well. I, Cause he know, was gone. Yeah. Well, the first meeting, it was like, we'd like a bust of Levon. So I did a sketch of traditional bust and brought it to him for the second meeting. And then Joe was like, man, it'd be cool if he was holding some drumsticks and a mandolin. And and I said, well, that would be cool. You know, it's another sculpture, but it would be cool. So did that and then came back to the third meeting. At the third meeting, Paul Berry was there, who's an old, old, old friend of uh, Levon's. And he was like, man, he's got to be singing, you know. And all I could think of is I thought, well, I've never seen a singing bust and well, there's a first there's for everything. a first for everything i was i mean not to be you know i was a little worried that it was going to kind of come off looking like uh monty python and the holy grail with the black knight when he gets his arms and legs cut off and just, you know and I was, I was like oh no this singing so anyway i thought well if we get the microphone in there that gives it context on why because Levon's such an expressive singer gosh he is and um so anyway, yeah, worked off um, photos and then just watched hours and hours and hours of uh, The Last Waltz because then I could see different angles and really see him pushing it out there singing. And that's when just watching him over and over, I was just flabbergasted the way the physicality of the way he would drum and then have all that being able to push out that volume and that wonderful voice. And that, it's just amazing. He is amazing, and I had yeah. no idea till I watched these YouTube videos. But you nailed it; it's just so physical. Oh yeah, 
and then to be able to hear everything. I mean, just, yeah, to do the whole thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm in awe of what he did. So a lot of people were excited about you doing that and you got a lot of press who came to interview you over the, over the, well, Anna Lee and actually, and I, Anna Lee and I went out and kind of did the little dog and pony show as far as, uh, the local, all the media and everything. And then, um, we went to the AP, uh, Associated Press here and he, uh, big fan. And then the next morning, then Bridget was like, good Lord, you know, it was, it had been picked up all over. So you got phone calls nationally about it? Yeah. Well, I got uh, some interviews from some upstate New York papers who were obviously interested because of Levon living up in Woodstock area. And, um, but the, yeah, but the story was picked up by the New York times and the, uh, Washington post. And, when did you decide yeah. that? So the, so leave, uh, the friends of Levon don't have enough money to turn it into a bronze cause that's expensive. Right. So, and Woodstock doesn't want to help with that. Well, Woodstock has here. its own thing going on. I mean, they're trying to save the barn that Levon had and everything, but, I, I, um, I've talked to them as well. And his daughter, Levon's daughter, Amy is a singer songwriter and she's played here. Which in fact, she just played here maybe a week or two ago up in Fayetteville, Georgia's. Oh, neat. Yeah. And, um, so she came last year and did a show at South on Maine here in Little Rock. And so she came by the house to see the bust. And of course that's always scary because the family, you know, and you're like, Ugh. Uh, but she loved it. It was one little change minor that I made while she was there. And then she said, perfect. That's it. And the other cool thing is that she's got a couple boys and they were upstairs playing with my kids. And, um, the one, he was about 10 years old. Uh, his name's Lee. He came down and he hadn't seen it yet. He just came down and looked up and went, Pappy. Oh, and that went, is good. Yeah. Then I went, okay, that's it. You we, nailed it. We, we got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how old was a young boy? Uh, around 10. That's good. Gallery came and they tore up the tracks again. In the winter of Tell them about your bust is made from this song. Yeah, well, I, I, I had, um, because as the bust kept changing, you know, as I was working on it, then, yeah, it was interesting. I had a, a certain mouth position. I thought, eh, it just didn't feel right. And so this, yeah, the sculpture is basically between the N and the I of night. On night. Night. The night. night. Oh, wow, that's um, crazy. Um, but yeah, Levon, I mean, he, so I was saying, you know, he had a complete acting career as well. So he played Loretta Lynn's uh, dad and Cole Miner's daughter. He was in The Right Stuff. Uh, in fact, he did the voiceover at the end of The Right Stuff. Um, he was in The Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. I think that was one of the latter ones. Really? Um, he, oh, I can't remember the name of, of Tommy Lee Jones. In fact, Tommy Lee Jones is the one who got him, I think, going when uh, they were looking for Loretta Lynn's father. I think Tommy Lee Jones was the one who suggested him. But anyway, um, it's called The Three Burials of Mosquitoes. I don't know if it's a Spanish name, I can't, but uh, he's phenomenal in that. So let's talk about the General William Darby 1,300 pound, <laughs> seven foot tall statue in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Which I hoisted up with me on bare hands. <laughs> yeah, that was a biggie. Well, okay, this is what I love about what I get to do because I get into the worlds of these different people, you know? So to go from General Darby, who started the U.S. Rangers, um, and, you know, to leave on him. So it's, that's what I love about what I get to do, for one thing. But um, William Darby, yeah. 
grew he, up in Fort Smith. and um, Who commissioned you? Well, once again, it was kind of a grassroots thing. Uh, Joe and Liz Armstrong, who are, uh, Joe was a ranger, and both of them grew up in Fort Smith. And Do you know them before? No, I did not know them before. Um, How'd they find you? It, it was a, a national competition. Thing. Oh, so you, it was a national competition. Yeah, a lot of times you're throwing your hat in the ring, you know, for, for jobs, for especially big ones. And you like submitted that. a drawing? Uh, I think, you know, I'm trying to remember. I think that one I submitted my portfolio. Some of them are, are, you know, they request a specific drawing or whatever. And others, they just want to see your portfolio to see that you've done work and you're capable of doing it. Do you have to go in for interviews? Oh, yeah. Because I think what what it was, was we put the portfolios in and I made the final cut of three, maybe, artists. And then they asked for a drawing and then go in for an interview to, to the board and... You pitch your idea and you sell yourself, basically. So being a successful artist is like applying for a job over and over, over and, and over and over again. Gosh, what have you done for never, me lately? I, I would have never thought that. Mm-hmm. So how do you find these listings? Do they have mm. like a website that you go to? Yeah, and they post? you know, I mean, that's the nice thing about the internet now is that you do some of that. But um, but for for that one, I think Mark Christ uh, at the Arkansas Historical. Yes kind of I ran into him when I was out on a walk and he told me that that was coming up and so I put it on my radar so it's networking oh that helps so much yeah you bet. so you fell in love I followed you on Facebook mm-hmm. and I watched the motorcycles that yeah that was astounding when they brought it all in you were speechless you were you were you you were you were in awe it was emotional it. there was a guy that we met uh the unveiling was on Saturday morning. Uh, Friday night, they had kind of a meet and greet, and I got to meet uh, Darby's nephew that I've been talking with quite a bit through email, but we hadn't met in person, and that was quite a, an emotional meeting. And then there were Wilbur, his nickname Punch, Wilbur Punch Gallup, is 95 years old, in a wheelchair, had been one of Darby's original 500 men, and he was there. And is he the last living survivor? I very probably. So but, what did he say? Well, he was so soft-spoken, and half of his face was kind of disfigured because he had taken shrapnel and shells in during the war. And he had, I think, every medal you could even think of, and some I'd never heard of. He'd been awarded. So anyway, interesting character, and I was so glad my boys were with me. You know, get to meet him and take some pictures with him and everything. Oh, oh. They're coming for me. They're coming for you. Um, but anyway, real soft-spoken, sweet guy. And, oh, he was nicknamed Punch because he was the 1940 Golden Gloves champion of the Midwest, I believe. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, anyway, then at the unveiling, uh, all these rangers were lined up behind Punch in his wheelchair. And then Punch all called him to attention with his loud, booming voice. This is a soft-spoken man in the wheelchair. And then just, just loud as you can imagine. And, boy, they all, oh. and, and it was very, yeah, it was. The hair, you know, on the back of your neck. It was wonderful. So the, the nephew is Darby Watkins, and he said this about you. Thank you, Kevin Cressy, for absolutely nailing his uncle's image and personality. And he went on to say, when I look at that statue, I see a precocious boy with a wicked grin and a lust for life. Mm-hmm. So you didn't make a statue. So this bronze is not of him as a ranger. It's him as a young boy? No, it's of him as a ranger. You know, he's just saying you see that. And that's what's um, 
so interesting about getting to do what I do. You know, I mean, I read, uh, read a book that Darby had written about growing up. Like, j there's just certain things that you, then you, you catch. And one of them that really caught my eye was uh, as a boy, he went down one of those drainage, big drainage ditches for like over a mile to went out to the river. And I remember having on purpose. Yes, can you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, growing up, we had a little one that went over the driveway, and I was afraid to go through it. So I mean, I'm just talking. That's just any, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, reading a bunch of the books on him too. He, he was um, an amazing character. Killed two days before the war ended. Really? In, yeah, in Italy. So it was born in Fort Smith in 1911. Mm -hmm. Graduated U.S. Military Academy of West Point, New York. Yeah, about mid-class. Mm -hmm. He formed, during World War II, he formed the Darby's Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they, the U.S. Rangers were called Darby's Rangers for a long time. There and were no Rangers before him? No. It was like the first, almost like special ops kind of a group. I think they were kind of basing it off the British commandos that they that were happening then. They went to northern Scotland to be trained, and uh, he did the, all of that and then started in North Africa. I can't believe how much research has to be done on your sculptures. No wonder you're so good at it because it's almost like uh, getting into the character of a role you're going to play. Yeah, that's, I was about to say, yeah, it's, it's so much like that. Because what has to happen is, especially someone who's been, like with Darby, you know, has been gone for whatever, 70 years, you have to just read about him, try to get into the character of who he is. And then it is like that. It's like I'm the actor who's playing him. And I have to figure out as much as I can about him so that as, as I'm making choices, as I'm sculpting, I'm going, does this feel right more than anything? Does what? it feel like him? So it's not just about skill. It's intuitiveness. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I, I always have to think, what's the emotional goal of what I'm doing? You know, where, where am I wanting this to go emotionally? And then you're putting the likeness and especially with, <laughs> with Darby, you have to get all the military stuff right because those guys, man – and at one point, I'm sending pictures to them all, you know, checking things. And, and at one point, I had one rank on his collar and one rank <laughs> on his cap. And uh, they're like, oh, Kevin, uh, you got two different – because I'm not – yeah, I'm not a military. <laughs> and I was like, I've just seen you guys are checking Making sure you're on your toes. You know? uh, so, yeah, you're just layering all that on. Do you get – in that personality, does it kind of affect your home life and who you are while you're sculpting a certain personality type? Yeah, I was ordering Bridget and the kids around for months. Whatever. Just like, were you yeah. singing? <laughs> were you singing when you were doing the ball? Bridget, oh, Bridget has like perfect pitch, so she can't stand this. It's like fingernails down the blackboard when I sing. So you're right. He did get a lot of medals. He had three Purple Hearts, two Distinguished Service Crosses, Silver Star, Legion of Merit. He got something from the Russians. He got something from the French. <laughs> And and then he was finally killed two days before the war was over. Yeah. Oh, you, I mean, you read the books, and he should have been killed a thousand times over. And then, um, I mean, three Purple Hearts—that's a pretty big deal. That yeah. means no, something happened to you. Three. It's a stand. The, the things he did were incredible. And then uh, he was sent home for not quite a year in forty-four, and then went back to, to his to his men. He he didn't uh, want to be away from something. Fort Smith is a sister city with Cisterna, Italy, and they suffered a huge defeat there. Anyway, he wanted to get back to those men. He hated that that had happened. And um, he was uh, just in a group meeting of what they were, the Germans were retreating, obviously, and they fired a big shell and it exploded up above them and killed two of them, I believe. 
Wow. So you said in a publication, it's a kick knowing that my public work will still be there long after I'm gone. I never thought about that aspect too much until after my father died. It is also great hearing people interpret what they see in some of my work. It makes me realize that everyone sees art through their filter of life and that every interpretation is just as valid as the reason I did it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, well, the, my first public <clears throat> sculpture was uh, Baptist Hospital. And uh, P. Allen Smith was redoing the garden and he brought me on to do it's like a good Samaritan scene. So anyway, when it was, uh, when we had installed it and I was doing some finishing work, that's when I first realized, cause you would get these people coming up, uh, and they would say, did you do this? And I was like, well, yes, sir. And he'd go, um, he'd go, now is that supposed to be the hospital and that the patient? And I go, yeah, I never, you know, and then it, it kept happening over and over again. Another one would come up and, is that now? Is that supposed to be God and that Job? Sure, you bet. That's right. exactly. You know, is that Jesus and that us? Sure, you bet. Wow. Yeah, I, I never. You know, it was just right in my face. The first time that I was really, I thought this is great. This is great. So, what do you think about all the Confederate statues being taken down? After all, aren't they just art? Also, I think you probably can't get away. From I think you have history, but then you have the history of the history of the way they were brought in during the time they were brought in for the, the thinly veiled reasons that they were brought in. And I think that's what makes it for me so troubling, you know, because I didn't realize that growing up. I think a lot of this stuff is it just kind of becomes a wallpaper you don't notice anymore when you're sort of growing up around it. And then all this attention you know, is, is brought on it and you're going, oh, wow, I didn't really thought about that. I hadn't really looked at it because you've been driving past it every day all your life or something. So what are most of those sculptures made out of? I think a lot of those would probably bronze as well. So would you, so the sculptures are going to be taken down? Were there, were there ever any famous artists that did any of them, you think? Mm, nothing that pops to my mind right off the bat. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. I heard someone say <clears throat> something about them being art and I thought, I've never thought about it like that. Well, it's interesting too because somebody was talking about the uh, here in Little Rock and at the, on the Capitol grounds, and and it's the one of um, it's actually of a, of a soldier walking all you know he's uh, holding hands with his mother, and there's a little kid uh, at the mother's side. You know, know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. You're looking at the Capitol, sort of to the left. It's up on a pretty high pedestal, and uh, somebody talking about that being a Confederate because it's not as blatantly obvious as uh, you know Stonewall Jackson or Robert Lee or whatever. And uh, because I always looked at it and just thought, oh, it's just a memorial to families being torn apart by war. So, right. Uh, I don't think it's as egregious as some of the other ones. So tell the uh, other Lee Von Helm story. Well, no, it's just uh, talking to his friends. I mean, everybody who knew him has a, has a Lee Von story. I mean, he's just one of those uh, charismatic, uh, personable characters. And, uh, I just, I've, I've heard so many different stories, but like I was saying, they, you know, they'd say, oh man, he, he's the kind he would, he'd need 500 bucks. He'd take 500 bucks and you would never see it again, but then he'd have $10,000 and give it away. You know, it was, it just didn't seem to matter that much. And to you him. Said it was he, more about the experience. I think that he was in at the moment. And you said he heard about, a yeah, Paul Berry was telling me a story about, um, this boy who had, I think died of, can't, I'm going to get the story right, but died of cancer or something here in Arkansas. And he was up in. Uh, New York and drove all the way down, 
got a buddy of his. They went and got a couple of harmonicas and worked out, I think, Amazing Grace. Went to the funeral, to the graveside service and played and put their harmonicas on the coffin and he walked off. That's a great story. So you taught, uh, well, let me ask you. Yeah, I taught for about. Yeah. Yeah. You taught at the Arkansas Art Center. Mm -hmm. Did you teach sculpt or painting? I taught, I think, everything. Uh, Early on, I think I I taught kids cartooning. I I taught, uh, anyway, drawing, figure drawing, figure painting, and figure sculpture. Also taught eight years at a head injury rehab center, taught kids. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. That Which one do you like better? Paint you when I when was in, buying your stuff because I have a self portrait of you that I yeah, bought. Yeah, the scary 20, one. The yeah. scary one that I well, put. They're the all top. scary, but the yeah, that extra one, special scary. That one. one's really secret, good. <laughs> secret sauce on it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were painting everything then. Yeah. I went to a show and it was all paintings, and right. now it sounds like you're sculpting everything. What's, yeah. What's happened? Well, what, what happened is um, I was teaching at the art center and you could take other classes. So I just started jumping into sculpture because I had one sculpture class in college, my very final semester and I liked it, but then I was off on to other things. So I thought, yeah, I'd like to get back into that. So I started um, sculpting at, uh, at the night class and uh, my friend Hamid, a uh, super sweet guy, he uh, moved. And so I became then the sculpture teacher by default. And at the Arkansas art at center. at the art center. Yeah. And then, Got frustrated with the clays um, after they were fired, like fingers breaking off and everything. So went out to Euler and Michael Wark taught me how to cast. And um, but you still start with clay, don't you? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, anyway, why do they it, not? Why started, did the fingers not break off? Oh, so you went and learned. You, lo- I learned you went how and learned how to. Bronze. I got you. Oh, but when you fire it, doesn't it still have the tendency to break off, or did you just? end up having a teacher teach you how to keep it from being so fragile no the clays i mean the clays are different yeah i mean after they're fired uh, the anything sticking off it can easily get it can still be broken so the clays that you were doing at the art center were different from the clays that you would do for a bronze yes if i know i'm going to do a bronze then i I work in a different clay i work in an oil-based clay it doesn't dry out it's not as fragile uh no i finally get it and I'll do like the large ones, like Darby. See, it, it's it's over foam. It's what, it's a long anyway. What does that mean? It's over foam. Well, the, I do a small model. Oh, and carve it they, out of foam, and they enlarge it in foam, and then spray the oil-based clay over it, and then I get the oil-based clay and articulate, and then I sculpt oh. all the details and everything, and make changes in the foam, and then sculpt in the. Because there's no clay. way you can make a clay seven feet tall. Right. That would be time consuming. It'd be crazy. It seems like it'd <laughs> yeah. fall over. So you make yeah. it out of foam mm-hmm. and then you put the clay on top of the foam and then you're able to sculpt that. So you just kind of got a base that you can kind of right. work off. That's of. kind of the armature right underneath. And, but I mean, getting it to the foundry, because I typically the large ones I take to Norman, Oklahoma is an art foundry there. So I took Darby in a U-Haul. I rented a 10 foot U-Haul truck and he's all in pieces. So the, the, <laughs> I had his bust of him in the passenger seat. So he looked like we were driving together. He's looking ahead and we're, we're driving off. And I was about 15 minutes from the foundry and I heard there was a huge this explosion and the drive shaft had broken and uh, I was left on the side of the road. And anyway, adventure, art adventures, you know. And you don't worry. And I, it, it seems like it would break on the way there. Well, it, it, the big danger is when it's super hot. 
because the clay can melt down to a liquid. So you don't want to be transporting it when it's super hot outside. So you believe in taking classes because you went to a class to learn how to do bronzes. So you're a big proponent if you want to be an artist to keep taking classes and yeah, I mean it's it, depending on what you're yeah continuing your education. You bet. Well, uh, yeah. Did you go to school for art? Is it college? Did I? Uh huh. I done went to school. To, I, I didn't I, find I anywhere education. where you. No, when like I said, when I when I graduated high school, uh, I had five brothers and sisters already in college or med school, and I didn't know if I was any good or not. So yeah, I I, I went on out to 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 ULR. University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Mm-hmm. And did you graduate? I did graduate. I, you know, I couldn't find that anywhere about you. I wondered if you ended up just going out of high school and becoming successful or if you actually went to school and yeah. stayed the whole time and got a degree. I got a degree. And you recommend yeah. that? Um, maybe not, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, as an artist, uh, if I were talking to myself back yes. then, I'd maybe go apprentice with an artist if I really knew what I was wanting to do. Um uh, I think a lot of there's kids. A, that's a it's a long it's a big subject there, um, but um, you know there's there's people ask me where I study and really I say I studied in my studio. Where is your do you do, well, do, you do all of this I, in I had, your for house? Sixteen years I had a studio above Vino's and and I, that's really where I learned my. Till you burned it down. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh no! It's all it's but, all good now. It's all good, but. Uh, I think that the most successful artists that I know are ones that know how to sell. It's it's easier for me to sell your product than it is. I think for most artists then to sell themselves. And that's it's very personal. Yeah. Because it's rejection. it's also the rejection yeah. <laughs> the rejection aspect of it. Yeah, the whole psychological part of it. Uh plus any tainting of this is art, it should be pure, and now I'm trying to monetize it. You know, you you get into a lot of the of that psychology part of it that's that can really muck the waters up. Yeah, I can imagine. That's well said. How long did it take you before you start being able to live on your art? Mm, well, the kids, the twins are 18. They've just gone off, so 19, 19, 20 years or so. Not You've been doing it for 19 or 20 years, but how long before you were able, before it started? Like it took Flag and Banner nine years before it could support me. So how long do you oh, think? Oh, well, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I kind of jumped the, the, the job job in 80, started in 89, and then uh, the twins were born in 99, 98. So, yeah, so nine, nine or 10 years or something like that. Did it start to really take off? Yeah, I mean, takeoff is a relative term, but yeah. I mean, it's it's been what's your a roller next, coaster. What's your yeah. next one? That you're, what are you working on now? Well, actually, the, after the after the General Darby, I got a call from a veterinarian in Fort Benning, Georgia, and he, they want to do a memorial to the canines that go in first, and um, so I'm doing um, this large dog attack dog, and he was funny too because he goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna fly you down here and get you in a flight suit." I said, I'm sorry, flight suit? And he goes, no, bite suit. Oh. And that's when I was, that's okay, buddy. I'm not, as I said, I'm not, a, I'm not really a method sculptor. I don't need to be attacked and chewed up to, to, be, to be. I don't know. You sound like a method sculptor to me. You kind of get into all these people. So are you going to do the dog? I am. I, I have it. I, I've, he's already been enlarged. He's And you just right did uh, uh, something from Mount St. Mary's? Yeah, and a crucifix for their chapel, seven, seven feet tall. That's just incredible. An even more recent development in Kevin Cressy's career is his being chosen to sculpt Johnny Cash to replace an existing statue representing Arkansas. 
in Washington, D.C. Courtesy of KFSM-TV in Fort Smith, here's more. Back in 2019, Governor Asa Hutchinson signed off on legislation to have civil rights activist Daisy Bates of Little Rock and singer Johnny Cash, who was born in Kings Lynn, replace the current statues of former Governor James Clark and Uriah Rose, a 19th century attorney. I have to be honest here. If it had been anyone else, I don't know, you know, a politician or a business leader, whatever, I would have been honored to do that as well. But to have it, as I say, kind of be in this wheelhouse of my passions for these Arkansas musicians is just, it goes beyond the cherry on top. Chrissy has spent the past two years sculpting cash in addition to plenty of research. But I've probably read seven or eight books. You, you're looking at documentaries, um, countless videos on YouTube. Spending hours and days making sure to embrace the spirit of the legendary music icon. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I would work. I wouldn't be satisfied. I'd rip the hair off his head, get started again, build it back up. I'd rip off and uh, until I really felt like he was there. Working to get it just right and to showcase the talent of those in the natural state. I felt a real responsibility since I was the only Arkansas artist in the finals to you know, make Arkansas proud. But his ultimate goal with the project is to make the family of Johnny Cash happy. There's no feeling like that. You feel like you've brought part of them back to the present moment for them to be able to spend time with them. According to Cressy, the statue should be at the U.S. Capitol by the end of next year. If you want to get in to buy some of your work, Kevin, where do they go? Uh, you know, for years and years and years, I was at Gallery 26, but I'm not really producing work like that. Anymore. You're not doing you're not doing uh paintings anymore, are you? You're just doing sculptures. I'm lucky to get one. Yeah. So it'd be worth even more when I kick the bucket. So <laughs> I think I'll be gone before you are. <laughs> so uh so you, you your work like you're just doing commissioned work. Your work like that's Yeah, well I, now I do have a studio that I've I've got this past year out at the what used to be the St. Joseph's orphanage. So because oh, before yeah. then, I was really um, working at Martin Burkett Building Supplies in a warehouse space when I was doing the large pieces. So um, so you're at St. Joseph's. Joseph's Orphanage in North Little Rock, and you show there a little bit? Uh, we, occasionally, well, they'll do a, yeah, we'll do a little show or something. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually starting um, kind of a series of portraits of the same person, and I do a charcoal and an oil and a bust. So I'd love to eventually have a show of about if I got maybe six or eight models worth of work uh, to where you would see the same model in three different mediums by the same artist and just see how the different mediums affect uh, what you're picking up from the person, from the model, person who's modeling. That sounds really interesting. Well, I hope so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if someone wants to commission you, how do they get in touch with you? Oh, go to KevinCressy.com and then they can contact yeah, you. Yeah, nobody's there. got that name. Kevin Cressy, K-R-E-S-S-E. K-R-E-S-S-E. Nobody's got that name. So look yes. what I gave you. Thank you so much for coming on. I always love visiting with you. you ah, in an Italy flag. An Italy flag because you changed we your life in Italy. Year, well, yes, it did. And we spent a year I in Italy. I thought Bridget might like that. I love it. Thank you so much. That's the Arkansas flag, the U.S. flag, and an Italy flag because Italy changed your life. It did. Kevin, you are one in a million. Oh, baby, back at you. Thanks. Um, to my listeners, if you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to 
questions at upyourbusiness.org. I almost almost stepped on your word. Sorry. (laughs) And someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right. But it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guests. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.